Yo, and welcome into week 10 of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-On Sports Bistro Online. It's walk-ons.com. Find a location near you. And like we tell you every single week, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in an SEC city or you're going to be in an SEC city very soon. So there's going to be a location that is convenient for you. Again, walk ons dot com uh weekly chris doring it's already week 10 and you have to say what it is flying by for real we're in november now <laughs> boys and i just before we get going i want to make note i know i got a collar shirt on here it's not because of you little bitches saying something about my tank top just uh, had this on earlier today <laughs> so i want to make it note the tank top will be back before the end of the season Hey, look, they're just jealous that they don't fill out the tank top like Chris Doring does. <laughs> you know, I'm not rocking the tank top if I'm like going out somewhere. I just got back from working out last time. So and yeah. I did clarify, like legit got to clip the underarm hairs, right? Everyone knows you got to manscape your whole situation, including your underarm hairs. So you don't look like you you got buckwheat in a headlock or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Don King in a headlock is I think what we used to call that, you know. Yeah. Back in the day. So, hey, I completely get it. I understand. And CD, you're good. Don't worry about it, man. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Hester. You can wear you can wear a purple LSU themed tank top anytime on pregame <laughs> SEC. <laughs> Dude, hey, might as well. I mean, that that's been you know one of the one of the best storylines of the last uh, month of the season. And uh, I know Brian Kelly mentioned October was for pretenders, but that's where they started to make their move. That was the uh, the Saturday moving day, as Tiger used to call it back in the day. They made their move, put themselves in position, and see if they can take advantage of it in November. So I'll, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, uh, what they've been able to do, the growth of the team and a, a fan of Brian Kelly's in general. Yeah. And we're certainly going to get to the CFP rankings. Those were just released earlier today. We are recording this on Tuesday night. So we just saw the brand new college football playoff rankings and look, we'll overreact like we always do to the initial rankings, even though Tennessee and Georgia, who play each other this weekend. Michigan, Ohio State, who play each other in a couple of weeks. Alabama and LSU, who play you know, each other this weekend. And it's all going to change, but we'll certainly be in the group that overreacts to the initial playoff rankings. But unfortunately, we have to start off this podcast a little different than we normally do because we have a coaching, a coaching opening in the SEC, and we're just now in the first part of November. And, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that's Brian Harson is out as the Auburn Tiger head coach. It's not a surprise. This is one we've all been waiting on. We've really been waiting on it since last year when there was an attempted coup to get Brian Harson out of his job there at Auburn. And I don't know where they go from here, CD. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I truly don't. Because this is a good job. In fact, I'd say it's a great job. I think it comes with a lot of resources. I think it comes with a lot of rich tradition and history. I think it comes with a real want to and a desire. I think it comes in uh, a really good spot as far as recruiting trail and, and where you sit and where you're located because the state of Alabama and Georgia and you can dip into Florida, you can go into Tennessee, you can go to a lot of places. Like all of those things are very, very positive. But it also comes with a lot of baggage and it comes with a lot of extra and it comes with a lot of expectations, which is OK in a lot of places. But sometimes it might be too much. Sometimes you might need to allow someone to develop. And I know there's going to be a lot of names thrown out there. We can talk about some of those names. But right now, and 
I know you're paying different coaches, right? You're paying different coaches some buyouts. And kind of the joke's been, hey, if you want to make money and not work, go be the Auburn head coach for a year and a half or two years, and you'll get a buyout and you don't have to work. But I don't know how appealing this job truly is. And that's with me being a fan of the program, being a fan of what they've done over the years, being a fan of the campus and all the things that I just said in a positive light. But my goodness, like if you're in a stable situation, why in the world would you touch Auburn right now? Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting question that you ask. And uh, I saw in one of the articles on Tuesday, the quote from a former or a current SEC assistant that said Auburn is the worst good job in college football. And I think that's a pretty good way of describing it, right? Because I think we're seeing you know, kind of the the separation of of teams that that can win it and teams that would like to win it, but just don't have the resources and the other things you need to be able to, to do it. And Auburn is one of those that's in the in the halves, so to speak. Um, unfortunately they are constantly looking at across the state and comparing themselves to, to the Alabama program that Nick Saban has, has built to a, a dynasty. And, uh, I, I don't think that there's any way to really be happy because you go back and look, it's the great, it's the biggest case to be careful what you wish for. I mean, you had a guy in Gus Malzahn that had the best record against Nick Saban of any active coach. You let him go and you found yourself in an even worse situation that you had to cut bait with 21 day, 21 games into his tenure. So, uh, so much to unpack here has to know that we could go on forever about it, but just the idea that, you know, that, that 21, 21 games is enough, uh, for a coach to decide whether or not he's going to work out at a respective school is, is, uh, it's, it's a little troubling to me. And a lot of it has to do with guys like Josh Heupel having success in year number two and, uh, seeing what could be possible, but, I think that, unfortunately, is the exception to the rule. And Big Turp just shared a list of what Vegas thinks could potentially happen there on the Plains. Hugh Freeze, 2-1. to one. Lane Kiffin, 11-4. to four. Deion Sanders, 7-1. to one. Jeff Grimes, the OC at Baylor, 11-1. Mike Leach, 11-1. If you're wondering, Mike Leach, why would he be thrown in here? John Cohen, who was the athletic director at Mississippi State, in fact, was as Mississippi State as anyone can be, being a former player, coach, and AD at Mississippi State, is taking the Auburn athletic director job, and obviously he hired Mike Leach. In fact, when you look at his hires, he hires Moorhead from Penn State, someone who didn't really have a footprint in the SEC, and an offensive-minded guy. He gets Mike Leach, who had a small footprint in the SEC as an assistant at Kentucky, but certainly didn't have head coaching experience in the SEC, another offensive guy. Now, Auburn just failed with an outside-of-the-footprint offensive mind and Brian Harson. so I can't imagine they go there, but you bring in a new athletic director who that's kind of in his history is to bring someone from the outside who has an offensive background into your job. So do you read into that CD? Do you assume that he's going to follow the same plan? Do you think he goes with someone who has experience in the SEC? Does he go with someone who he thinks can recruit against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, who are very close proximity to where he's at? Yeah, I, I the odds would indicate that Hugh Freeze, a guy we know wants to get back into the conference, is uh, somebody that is likely going to end up at Auburn. Um, I think it was the the president who said, you know, we're looking for a, a guy that has a number of different things that includes SEC experience. And uh, obviously Hugh Freeze does have that at, at Ole Miss. Um, 
But I, I'm I'm interested, kind of the the take to see, you know, Deion Sanders being a seven to one. I, I would think that Deion Sanders would be a bit intriguing given what he's been able to do with NIL at Jackson State at a place like Jackson State. If you're able to do it there, I would imagine you'd be able to stock the the cupboards at a place like Auburn, where I imagine you're going to get the resources you need to be able to do that. Um, he's, he's shown himself to be a, a good coach that surrounded himself with good assistance. Like that to me is a, a very intriguing potential hire or target for this uh, search. Yeah. So a couple of names that you listed there, Hugh freeze makes $5 million per year at Liberty. Does he want to continue to make $5 million, which is a lot of money at Liberty. And that's where he's okay with that's enough for him. Or does he come back to the conference? Is he allowed back in the conference? So that part is going to be a conversation. You mentioned Deion Sanders. The one thing I do know, there's not a gymnasium in this country that he's not going to be able to walk straight into. There's not a coach's office in any high school in America that Deion's not going to be able to walk right into. And you might say, well, everyone has that privilege. No, they don't. They don't. They absolutely <laughs> do not. But he would have it. Hey, can I get some extra time, uh, you know, on the way out of class before he goes to that next class? Can I talk to him just a little bit? Some coaches don't get it. Deion Sanders gets it. That the recruiting part of that, I know would work. Now it, the, the on the field coaching and who he brings in, we can have that conversation, but from day one, I know that part of it works. Isn't it amazing to think about how extended his 15 minutes of fame has been? And I know, you know, he's, this isn't like some flash this is an all time great, but like, the fact that young kids that he would be recruiting knows the the, the legend of primetime is, is amazing to think about how he's taken advantage of that window of recognition that, that typically, you know, closes after a couple of generations. Yeah, you have your uh, like five minutes of fame, 15 minutes of fame if you're lucky. And even if you're a great player, like it's a generational thing. I, I saw a clip a couple of weeks ago. Matt Leiner was on the USC campus, and Matt Leiner is yeah. an all-time college I quarterback. I mean, he's a he's a Heisman Trophy winner, right? And he's won national championships. He's a first-round pick, and he's going around campus and you know is asking about Matt Leiner. No one has any clue who Matt Leiner is or who he is, which is Matt Leiner. So, to your point, that that doesn't follow everyone. Like and that I wasn't that you, long ago. That no. was at that specific school, a guy that, yes. you know, had a great career, won a Heisman Trophy there and was not too long removed from playing in the NFL. No, I, I could go in the middle of campus. I could go right there in the quad with an 18 jersey on. Nobody, <laughs> right? You, you might have people recognize from local radio show with T-Bob. They're not going to recognize from playing. And that's yeah. just that's the way it is. So to your point. Yeah, Dion's been able to, with every high school student, with every high school coach, which the high school coaches now were growing up when he was prime time with the Falcons and with the Cowboys and 49ers. So they absolutely know who he is. It's an intriguing name. Um, you know, do you try to go completely opposite of what you just did and, and which didn't work and what you try to bring in a younger coach who was from somewhere else? Do you go, hey, a little bit older guy, maybe somebody that's been in the conference? Mark Stoops is 12 to 1. Do you go after someone like that? Mike Gundy's 12 to 1. Do you go after someone who's been in the game, who's got, you know, years and years and years of head coaching experience? I, I don't know. I don't know what John Cohen 
is looking for. I don't, we know what he's done at Mississippi state, but he's no longer the AD at Mississippi state. He's the AD at Auburn. So who they hire will be very, very intriguing. I think it is the top job, even with the baggage that it comes with. Nebraska comes with a lot of baggage and I believe Wisconsin's already sealed up. I think Jim Leonard is going to get that job. So it is the best job that is currently available. So if you're a coach who wants to move on from where you currently are, that's probably going to be on the top of your list. I'll say two things. One, Matt Rule is a name that I, I think is a little bit intriguing given the success he's had as a college coach. I know his star may have lost a little bit of its shine there with the uh, experiment in Carolina that didn't go well, but uh, he, he's been known to take programs over and, and, and get them to, to a lot better position than when he started. Um, yeah, I think the, the other one that, that I'm curious about, you, you said it a minute ago at 12 to one, Mark Stoops, because, the, because of the timing, and we talked about this on SEC this morning earlier today, but do you think with what happened on Saturday against Tennessee, to see where Tennessee's program was and where it is less than two years later and the way that they zoomed past Kentucky as they thought they probably had one of the best teams that they've had since Coach Stoops has been there, with one of the best chances to maybe get to the SEC championship for the first time and to get bludgeoned the way that they did by a program that was in that same stadium two years ago was, was just absolutely miserable and, and, and was beaten embarrassingly by that same Kentucky Wildcats team. It has to be a little discouraging. And do you think that the coach stoops at all thinks that there's a ceiling on that job for what that program is able to attain? He might because he's got the first-round quarterback. He's got the all-conference running back. Now, the offensive line is not where it's been in the past, but you go across on the other side, I think he's got quality Sunday defenders, guys that are going to play in the NFL. Uh, he's taken that to places it's never really been before. I mean, we've talked about the losing streak they had to Florida, and he's figured that out. I mean, now Florida's not in their prime right now. Florida's not where we've certainly seen them over the last 25, 30 years, but still, like, it didn't matter in that series. Florida was just going to beat Kentucky. So you might have something there. Um, Mark Stoops is somebody that was given time to develop Kentucky and get them to where they're at. But, you know, can you take a look at that and say, man, I feel like I've got all the pieces and it still wasn't enough. Now, it was enough to have nice seasons, but it wasn't enough to have epic seasons. So does he think he can go to a place like Auburn and say, hey, if you give me the time, now I don't need the time that I had at Kentucky, but Mitch Barnhart allowed me to build and develop. If you give me, you know, maybe, maybe it's half the time that he had at Kentucky because we know the expectations at Auburn. If you give me three years to develop on that fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, we're going to be the team that you want to be. Now, th that's a question that I don't have the answer to. It hasn't been the history of Auburn football to allow patience and time and development. But he could sell that. He could sell, hey, Mitch gave me this, and look what I did with Kentucky. Imagine what I can do at Auburn. We had an Auburn guest on today with an interesting perspective on what needs to be done. Ben, ben Leard, who's a, a good yeah. friend of, of our shows at the SEC Network and at SiriusXM and, and a, a guy that's become a good friend of mine as well, talking about the Auburn situation and what needs to happen, he said – they need to finally step away, devolve themselves or that you know, remove themselves from the, the situation. The idea of, of having all these cooks in the kitchen, just take yeah. your hands off 
hire somebody and let them go to work and do the job. And to me, as he's saying, I said, yeah, that sounds great in theory, but is that something that's possible at Auburn with their reputation for the booster meddling? Like it, it's something that it, it sounds like it could work, but I'm not sure if there would be enough guys within that uh, circle, that tight circle that would be willing to take their hands off and let somebody do the job they're hired for. I mean, it just, it's never really been the history and what they've done. Right. So, but, but you haven't, I mean, so you've gotten results and you've gotten them at their peak by winning a national championship. And you were a couple of plays away from winning another with Gus, but it almost feels like you have to hit a little bit of, I don't want to say reset because I think you're Auburn. I don't think you have to complete reset it, but almost what, what LSU did this year. Now, can you go get a Brian Kelly? I don't know. I, I, I just I don't I don't know because of what's happened over the last couple of, of head coaches. Maybe you can. I mean, it's a very valuable program. LSU and Auburn, when you look at the evaluations of their college football teams, I mean, I think one's 110 million, the other's 114 million. So they're yeah. they're pretty much right there. LSU's had more recent success as far as national championships. Can you go pull a, a Brian Kelly from a Notre Dame when it doesn't look like he's on the open market? Maybe. I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think because of the last couple of years and the toxic nature, even if it's maybe not as bad as we think on the outside, I, I don't know if you can do that, but if you can, and you, you know, kind of allowed this season now, Brian Kelly knows you are ahead of schedule. They're six and two. We were talking before the season, if LSU could be eight and four, right? We're like, if they could be eight and four after what happened last year, the way the last two years have gone, that's a big win right yeah. now. They might play over that, but, can you allow for that buffer year? Like saying, hey, let's go get the big name. Let's give him all the resources that he needs, which they certainly will. He can dip into the transfer portal because that gives you something different that you've never really had before. You can change your roster in one year. And if he goes eight and four and you beat a couple of good teams, or even if it's seven and five, but you've got to win over a top 10, whoever. Okay, that's enough. And we're not going to try to create a coup against that coach yeah. to get him out of here, right? Those are the things that have to happen there, in my opinion. I think the thing that has to happen, too, in order for those those boosters to not want to be involved is they have to have a guy that's hired that they approve of, that they feel like they have some sort of influence with. And that's why it's interesting to see Kevin Steele's name back on this list <laughs> at 12 to 1, according to betonline.ag. Uh, Kevin Steele, I don't think it ever, otherwise even would be considered a, a, a potential target or an option. I don't know if John Cohen considers him to be one, but an interesting name to see listed amongst the actual you know, top six or seven candidates, according to uh, this website. I mean, we all know the history of Kevin Steele <laughs> in, in Auburn. And uh, again, for us to sit up here and probably give you all these names, you know, who knows? Who knows at the end of the day? None of us saw Brian Harson. Um, I, I would say none of us saw really, uh, I mean, Mike Leach, but that name had been tossed around with so many SEC jobs. I'm going back to John Cohen and his hiring history. Um, you know, Josh Heupel wasn't a name until you go and get Danny White to be your uh, athletic director that any of us were tossing around. So we've seen SEC schools kind of hire from from outside, or I would say hire a surprise guy because, you know, Josh Heupel has been a coordinator 
in the SEC before. But it's the top job open right now. We'll talk about it over the next couple of weeks. And the way it works now with early signing period, it's probably going to be sooner rather than later than we that we have a couple of names to really go off of. And with the transfer portal and when that kicks in in, in December, you're certainly going to try to restructure your roster through that way as well. So it's a big story. We'll probably talk about it multiple weeks here on pre-gaming the SEC. Again, not a surprise at all. Unfortunately, this is something that we've been waiting when and not if it happens. All right, let's go to college football playoff rankings because, again, this show and this format is going to be a little bit different tonight because we do have fresh CFP rankings. In fact, the first of the year, and an SEC team is at the top. And it's not the Georgia Bulldogs, which a lot of people just assumed, including yours truly. I thought it would be Georgia 1, Tennessee 2, and some combination of Ohio State and Michigan 3 and 4. But that is not what we got with the initial rankings. And it goes number 1, Tennessee, followed by Ohio State, still no Georgia, until you get to number 3. And then Clemson and Michigan round out the top five. Alabama comes in at number six, TCU at seven, Oregon at eight, USC at number nine, and another SEC team, maybe a little bit of a surprise, LSU comes in at number 10. So, CD, when you hear those rankings, when you hear those numbers next to those teams, which was the most surprising for you? Oh, probably Clemson. Uh, and I think the, the Clemson ranking probably has something to do that shouldn't be considered, and that's – their reputation, that's their past. That's what they've done. Um, you know, so it's called the benefit of the doubt club. That is, and, and it's not supposed to be factored in, but I, I, I have not been impressed with them. I have not been impressed with the teams they've beaten. I have not been impressed with the ACC as a whole. They're going to go undefeated. They're going to finish their season beating South Carolina at home. They're going to be 12 and 0. Um, they could get tested. Actually, this week they played, um, they play Notre Dame this week. Yeah, play Notre Dame on the road in South Bend. Play Notre Dame this week, so may, maybe they maybe Notre Dame's a team that seems to be getting better. Maybe they get tested this week. I just think they're a bit fraudulent, but unfortunately, I don't think there's enough teams on their schedule to expose that fraudulence. So maybe, maybe our guy Chiz gets a shot at him in the ACC championship game. That would be amazing to get a chance to uh, to see. But I just I. Um, I look at, at um, ACC or uh, Clemson as being the team that maybe I thought was higher than they should have been. I think TCU deserves more credit than what they've gotten. TCU is a team that's kind of been fun to watch this year, particularly in the fourth quarter, their resiliency yeah. when they're down, uh, their ability to play entire 60 minutes and beyond is something that I've, I've enjoyed uh, getting to, to watch from week to week. So I would say those. I wasn't surprised by Tennessee. That was my number one team since the night they beat Alabama just due to the resume that they've had. But, um, yeah, I'd say probably those two things are most surprising of the of the night. Yeah, and when I say I'm surprised Tennessee was one and not Georgia, I thought Georgia would be one, Tennessee two, just because it's the old to be the man, you got to beat the man mentality. But that goes back to last year. That doesn't have anything to do with I, this year. Yeah, but, I mean, we just said it. Like, we know there's teams that get the benefit of the doubt. And I, I still think that Georgia has the best win of anyone, including Tennessee's win over Alabama, because of how dominant it was. Because Tennessee at home beat Alabama, who's number six. It was a great game, right? 
But you look at Georgia and the way they beat Oregon, who's number eight in this initial rankings, like that's hard to get off my mind. Even though the totality of the wins that Tennessee has, I do think it's better than Georgia. I was just surprised. And again, if I'm ranking these teams, if you tell me, hey, get a pin and go, I'm, I'm putting Tennessee one without question. But I just thought that the committee would have Georgia because I feel like that is the best win. And because it looks like they value Oregon a ton as well. I mean, Oregon's one of those teams outside of Alabama with one loss that is the highest ranked team with a loss. I think it's the best win, but I think it has to do more with when they played them with an H. But, um, you know, I, I don't agree with who was it, Bo Nix that said if we played them again or we want another shot or we played them again, it'd be different or something. Obviously, you know, Georgia was hitting on all cylinders and Dan Lanning and, and his Oregon Duck program was just figuring things out. But I think the totality, the body of work, the overall resume that Tennessee has with what they've done through the first eight weeks of the season is by far the most impressive. And I'll go back, you know, that outside of that Oregon win, which you know, I, 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 again, was at the beginning of the year, like who else have they played? Who do you feel really like speaks to the, the, the strength of their schedule at this point in the season? No, and it's completely fair. In fact, they've only played one ranked team, and that was that was Oregon. Like when you look at Sanford and South Carolina and Kent State, who I mean, Kent State's playing tonight. It's Tuesday. Like they're playing some Tuesday night action. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Missouri gives them everything they want and more. They go play an Auburn team that just fired their coach. They play Vanderbilt, who. Look, Vanderbilt hit their win total. Shout out to Clark Lee, but it's Vanderbilt. And then a struggling Florida team they beat last week. So, no, I completely get that. And, look, it's going to play itself out this weekend. Like, it's going to play itself out this weekend, and it's not going to matter. Again, it's not where I would have it, but I was a little bit surprised just because we've seen that in the past. But I think they did get it right. They got it right with Tennessee. Tennessee right now has a resume that speaks for itself, and Tennessee's going to have that opportunity being an almost double-digit underdog on the road against that Georgia Bulldog team to prove themselves yet again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both of them are right there. Both have an opportunity to, if you're Tennessee, stay right there. And Georgia certainly has the opportunity to move up. But when I saw TCU at seven, I, I kind of knew they were going to be there. But if I'm TCU, I'm going to be like, hey, you know what we did? We beat four ranked teams in four weeks. Like you start talking about resumes, that, that's on their resume. And just because we didn't have TCU there at the beginning of the year, I feel like they're getting punished. TCU was, I believe, picked to finish seventh in the Big 12 in most publications. And here they are, seventh in the country. And it goes back to Cincinnati. Again, it shouldn't be this way, but it yeah. is. Cincinnati got in last year because they started at number eight. TCU starts outside the top 25, probably outside the top 40. And they've had to climb and fight and scratch and claw their way to get to number seven. Is that their true ranking? I don't know. They've beaten some really good teams in multiple weeks, but because of where they started, they're not jumping a one-loss Alabama team who has on the season. Look, if Alabama and TCU, by the way, played in a neutral site game, I realize what the spread would be, and I realize who I would put money on. <laughs> but if we're going off resume, Alabama doesn't have the wins that TCU has. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think there's so many different factors, and at the end of the day – you know, human beings are making a decision. So you can tell them that they don't take reputation into consideration, but they're going to. You can tell them you don't take history from last season into consideration, but they will. You can tell them yeah. that they shouldn't think about 
the AP or the coaches polls and where teams started from, but inevitably they will. The good thing about it is, you know, you take into two months of the season into consideration before you put these rankings out. And then once these rankings come out, we see teams that look like they have a pretty fairly manageable path to the college football playoffs lose inexplicably because yeah. the lights get brighter because the pressure grows. And I'm interested to see who in this top six that uh, we, we, we are looking at right now is having a pretty good chance to get in ends up self-destructing and falling out. Yeah. Cause it happens almost every single year. Yeah. A lot of times it's like a top four team finds its way out of the rankings pretty quickly. And so that's going to happen as we continue on down the list. Let's hit one more SEC squad. And by the way, if we're giving you all the other SEC teams in the initial 25 here, Ole Miss comes in at number 11, and that finishes the SEC. So top heavy for the SEC, but as you get through the teens and round out the top 25, not a lot there in the back end. But let's talk about LSU. They come in at number 10. They are the highest-ranked two-loss team ahead of Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss only has one loss, but we saw LSU was able to beat uh, Ole Miss and Tiger Stadium a couple of weeks ago by four scores, so they get the nod over Ole Miss. And a lot of people have a little conspiracy theories. If you've been on Twitter tonight or if you're listening to this podcast a couple of days later and you've seen it all on Twitter play out as well, that ESPN has decided because they have Alabama and LSU this weekend on their network, they're going ahead and uh, ramping LSU up a little bit, if you will. But LSU does come in at number 10. They've been a team that's been – Outside of the Tennessee game, very impressive over the last couple of weeks, including that big victory against Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, of the biggest movers right now, um, that, that LSU team as a whole and Jaden Daniels as an individual are two that are, are, are shooting up the ranks. I, uh, our Friday night SEC now on the SEC network, we ranked our top five quarterbacks because how often do we rank in the preseason when we're trying to fill time where there's no games and we want to create yep. conversation, we make those, those pre those, uh, preseason quarterback rankings. Well, we did it after basically two months of the season. And I had Jaden Daniels actually as my number three quarterback in the conference. I, you're closer there, obviously as an LSU grad living in Baton Rouge, but I've seen his evolution. Uh, the guy's unstoppable in the, the zone read game, especially in the tight red zone. It's a, it's a gimme. Um, his trust now of a talented group of receivers and understanding where to go with the football and accurately have improved immensely from the beginning of the year. I don't know if I've seen a quarterback evolve as much as I've seen him evolve in the matter of two months within a season than, than, than what he has. So I'm actually pretty high on this LSU team and I'm a little shocked. I mean, we, I'm sure we can get in when we talk about pre-gaming the point spreads for this week, but I'm a little shocked that LSU is being as undervalued as they are at home, especially with how much he's improved and how much Alabama struggled on the road the last two years. Yeah, it's a big number, and we'll certainly get into that game. It's a two-touchdown spread the last time that I looked at it. It is a home game. It's going to be an epic scene. If you're looking for a jolt of energy, if you're someone that's been looking for that for a long time, I can just tell you this. The pregame atmosphere, when it's LSU-Bama in Tiger Stadium, you're going to be about eight deep on the sidelines. You're going to have a who's who. It always is. And the crowd, the music, the teams, the anticipation. Because LSU hasn't beaten 
Alabama many times. I think it's, I think I saw a sat from uh, Saturday down South. It's like five times since 1958 that yeah. LSU's beaten Alabama in Tiger Stadium. I was a part of two of those in case you're keeping track at, at home there. Um, but that's, look, that, that's a wild stat. And it's been since, I believe, 2010 since LSU's beaten Alabama in Tiger Stadium. It's been 12, 12 years. Now, I know they don't play there every single year, but LSU's not a team that typically has a streak like that. But that is the streak. So it's going to be turned up to 11. And if you can find your way to Baton Rouge, I would be there because it's going to be a scene. How do they decide – how do they work that with all the people on the sideline in the pregame? Is that something that – you know, they're allocating a bunch of like pregame passes to former players. They invite the players. The players ask for passes. How, how does that work once the game starts? Do they put them in tickets? I mean, I, I got so many questions about that. Yeah, typically you get a pregame pass and it goes up until about 10 minutes, 15 minutes before kick. And then you go to your seat. You're going to have extra media credentials for a game like this. Now, typically now there's going to be a lot of media that would be at this game a 6-10 matchup that are going to be at 1-3 matchup there yeah. in Athens. And so media might not be there as far as the presence that it usually is. But, yeah, former players, gonna. this is the game. This is the game that they look forward to. Um, you know, LSU is not going to be the only team with former players there. There's a lot of New Orleans Saints that, that played for Alabama that find their way to this game as well. So, it's all, man, it is always just kind of a who's who. I mean, people that follow the program that that – you know, Big Cat and PFT seem to always be at this game. I've, I've stood next to Vince Vaughn at this game. It just it brings out the stars. It's usually a game that's littered with people that are going to play a high level of football on Sundays as we, you know, have kind of seen the chart of where NFL players come from. So I don't know how they find those passes. I'm just glad that I've got a pass and that's all I care about. <laughs> now, do you have a pass to stay on the field the entire game? I figured that that was the case, yeah. right? I've got yeah. the uh, I've got the uh, little little lanyard there. And by the way, they trolled me. They put my sophomore year picture on my lanyard, my headshot there. So I've got a bad haircut and uh, a bad suit on. But hey, it can get me anywhere in Tiger Stadium. That's all I care about. Anywhere in Tiger Stadium on game day, huh? Anywhere in Tiger Stadium on game day. Nice. I love it. I love yeah, it. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where I end up taking the game in there, though. We'll see. I'm, I'm a nervous Nelly during games. Because I so, can't affect it. Can't affect it anymore. I know. So you, you don't think you'll stay on the sideline? I don't know. I'm, like I said, like I get a little antsy, CD. I go sideline. I go press box. I walk around over uh, in the South Stadium Club. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little everywhere. A little everywhere. I, I think more Big Turp, it's that he's got to make appearances everywhere is what it is. I've got to touch a lot of people, shake a lot of hands, take a lot of pictures on game day is what he meant. No question, man. I was I was uh, looking at Twitter the other day, and there was a, a squad of dudes at the LSU game, like Theo Vaughn, the comedian, Drewski, the comedian. Then there's Hester over there. What was that all about, dude? That was a good setup. Uh, yeah, they came to watch the Tigers play Ole Miss. Uh, Are Theo, they LSU fans? Uh, Theo, I believe, went to LSU. I know Theo uh, is from Louisiana. He's an LSU fan. I believe he actually attended the school. Um, Let's get Theo Vaughn on the pod. That would be yeah. What do we do? That would be a good spot. Yeah, look, that's that's very fair. He actually <laughs> went to a Tennessee game, and I believe he gave Josh Heupel a Gatorade shot. I saw that. Does did, did, does he know Josh Heupel? I don't know, but it didn't look like he cared. That was that was <laughs> that was him in a bar stool, dude. I feel like that was just for content, but I still can't believe they got to do that for content. I can't believe they got to do that. It was as if they knew him from like growing up or something. Like they were his. That was his boy, and, and they were gonna you know celebrate with him in a more personal way. 
Yeah, I believe was that against Florida too. I believe Billy Napier caught it, some of that Gatorade show. It was Florida, yeah. That's right. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's uh we'll have to ask him if we can get him on the pod. We'll call him out. Maybe we'll tag him here. We'll see if we can get Theo on the pod there. But yeah, back to it. Gonna be a great game. Looking forward to it. It's going to be crazy enough. The secondary game in the SEC because of Georgia and Tennessee. And Georgia and Tennessee is going to be the game of the week across the country. So I think we're all looking forward to that. Um, all right. Typically here we do hold my beer, but I'm just going to quickly like pass over this because my hold my beer is going to be just Tennessee and Tennessee's football program, where they're at right now, what they've done this year, what the future looks like for them. Josh Heupel was not the hire that any of us saw coming, including myself. We're like, Josh Heupel, like he's done some good things, but you know, is that someone that can come in and take over this program that needs A, B, and C? Well, he's done A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, go all the way to Z. All right, he's done every single thing that you need him to do, and it's been impressive. It's been fun to watch as an offensive football player to see offense be played at that high level to be that efficient. So for me, man, Tennessee's been the story of college football. It's certainly been the story of the SEC. It's fun to watch. We'll see exactly where they're at this weekend as they face the defending national champion. But how can Tennessee not be who holds the beer this week? By the way, we messed up the real hole my beer because the real hole my beer was Auburn saying, hey, you thought we were dysfunctional <laughs> before. We're going to go ahead and fire our coach 21 games into this to his career. And, oh, by the way, we're going to go hire the AD from the team we're playing this week and yeah. announce that on Monday of game week against Mississippi State. So, I mean, that 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 is just a lot of – dysfunction all wrapped into one there <laughs> it is man and it's look it's a place that is is as proud and has this rich history it has as almost any program in, in the country i mean we know we, we speak with you know cole kublik we, we we do shows with guys like that and, and ronnie brown and cadillac williams Williams going to be the head coach. Yeah. The interim head coach. I mean, Jason Cam, like all these names and guys that we, that, you know, you mentioned TK, like they're proud. They're a proud football program. They should be proud. I mean, they're one of the better jobs. We've mentioned that, but man, the dysfunction over the last couple of years, it, it's just, it's hard to deny and it's hard to really just get a grasp of it. You know, it's funny. Like, I think we forget sometimes, or maybe, maybe we don't forget, but like we're so, self-centered as human beings that like what we're doing, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing means so much more than everybody else. And so like when I'm watching Florida, you know, I'm consumed with, with the Gator aspect and, you know, I imagine it's, you know, the same way for you. You talked about how nervous you are during LSU games, but I look over at the sec network desk and I'm, I'm sitting there and I watched Keo watching Auburn in the most futile situation where they're not winning any games, they're having a hard time. They're, they're getting blown out by Arkansas and he's going crazy watching plays living and dying as if they were on the verge of going to the college football playoffs. And it it just was a nice reminder that we all have that same passion for our alma maters and and love our our programs and and schools so much. And that, yeah, again, I think that's just one of the small pieces why, you know, the SEC is so great in general and what you and I get to do covering this conference and some of the other former players that cover it. It's just as a, uh, a really cool thing to be a part of, man. No, without question. I mean, you, you know, a, a team 
like Auburn, like you mentioned, they're out of it. You and I over the last couple of seasons, unfortunately, we've kind of been yeah. in that same spot. And I mean, look, the LSU Florida game, I mean, we're sweating it out. I mean, LSU's playing a bowl game against Kansas State. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But I'm like, you know, I'm embarrassed that LSU shows up with 38 scholarship players. And I'm thinking about back in my day, we, you know, yeah. it's like, man, we just, we, we take it and we wear it on our sleeves because it means so much to us. And that is a lot of passion that you just don't really get from anywhere else. And so I think, I think Tennessee in a, in a good light and Auburn in a bad light is probably the best place to leave. Hold my beer. No doubt. No doubt. So let's get into uh last call. We want to uh, take a look back at last week real quick before we turn the page to pre-gaming. Yes. I, 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 I don't know if you guys want to hit all of these here or I throw a few at you, but I do want to start with that Missouri South Carolina game. I'm very curious to see what you guys are thinking about these two programs at this point. We obviously come in feeling decent about South Carolina and what they've been doing this year. They end up losing this game 23-10. We have talked a lot about the good defense over there at Mizzou. They look very solid. Um, But start with South Carolina here because that was not a particularly great showing for the Cox. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to lump two teams into into my last call here, and it's not two teams that played each other. It's going to be two teams that were ranked coming into last week, and we spent a lot of time talking about them. It's Kentucky and South Carolina. Uh, I, I had both of those teams doing some big things, more Kentucky than South Carolina, and I just don't understand. CD, maybe you can help me. They just – there's a piece missing. Now, the piece is different for both these teams, and as I mentioned, I think Kentucky a little bit more than South Carolina, but you, you have teams that have players, that have coaches, and they get in these positions, and for whatever reason, there's a barrier – and they can't get over that barrier. They stop at the barrier. They have a conversation at the barrier about, you know, what's the other side and what it takes maybe to get to the other side. But for whatever reason, they can't get over it. And for Kentucky, it's truly playing for the East and being maybe the third best team in the SEC and the second best team in the East. And for South Carolina, it's like, hey, can we go be eight and four this year? Can we go be nine and three? Can we maybe just maybe go win double digit games when Steve Spurrier like they did when he was there which Shane Beamer knows what that looks like because he was an assistant there I just I don't know how to explain it but with both these teams I feel like they are so close and they're ready to make the leap and ready to take it to another level and again it's a different level for both teams considering where they're at but I just don't understand why they can't get there yeah, I feel specifically a little betrayed by Kentucky, you know, after watching them come back against Ole Miss and, and lose close at the end because they they shoot themselves in the foot with penalties and fumbles and, and things that they could have prevented. Um, losing to South Carolina at home, you know, even with Will Levis on the sideline banged up, you probably think at that point in time, Kentucky with the level that that they had elevated to would be able to win a game like that. But when you go out there and you're not even competitive against Tennessee with a guy that you're talking about that could be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, maybe the number one quarterback overall, and you look, and I don't think anybody has loved Will Levis as much as you and I have, but what, what do you make of the fact that, you know, in 12 SEC games in the last two years, He's thrown for less than 180 yards on average in those 12 games. Like at some point in time, you can look at say, wow, the offensive line's not great this year. You can look at say, ah, there's some issues with the receivers at some points. 
I didn't see him make very. I didn't see him make a lot of good throws. I'll be honest with you. There were chances. Uh, receivers could have helped him out some, but I didn't see him make a lot of good throws in that game against uh, Tennessee. No, because he didn't. I mean, it, he was 16 of 27 for 98 yards and threw it to Tennessee three times. Uh, I mean, I think he has it in him. Uh, I think when you when you go back and you look at the history, like he's got the talent. Uh, some of the offense hasn't called for him to throw for 350 yards. I think that's part of it. But also, like, there's there's moments when you'd like to see him take that next step, kind of like Kentucky as a whole. Um, he had a great performance against LSU last year, but it was with his legs more so than it was his arm. Like, he made enough plays with his arm, and he, he gives you a little bit of a dual threat situation there. But for whatever reason, again, like, there's this – it feels like there's this ceiling that Will Levis and Kentucky both kind of get to, and you feel like they're going to punch through that ceiling, but they just – they can't. And actually, they start to fall a little bit. Not to say they can't pick themselves back up, but like you said, like I watched the all 22 of this game. It's not all on Will Levis, but a lot of it is. Like yeah. there's plays to be made, and they're not making these plays. And if this is going to be a first-round quarterback, one of the first 32 names called in next year's draft, there's going to have to be some, some development. And you're going to have to show me that you can make these plays because do you have – Hyatt and McCoy and Tillman and all. No, you don't have that, but you've got good enough receivers where you should be making some plays. Well, I mean, that's one of the things we bragged about a lot this yeah. year was how well they've done in surrounding Will Levis with talent. Tavion Robinson from Virginia Tech, looking at Dane Key and, and Varian Brown as freshmen. Like, I felt really good about those guys and the tight ends. And, and so I do think that he's got good enough receivers to be able to to, to, to throw the football more consistently than what he has. And I'm glad you watched the L22 of, of Kentucky because I watched that on the plane ride home on, on Monday. The thing that you and I know about playing in the NFL is the quarterbacks have high, such a high level of accuracy that if I'm standing in a zone with my back turned to the defense and the quarterback throws the ball to my right shoulder, I know that I need to turn to my right shoulder because that's mm -hmm. where I'm going to be able yep. to avoid the defender. Or if I'm running a, a shallow cross, you know, he's going to put it on me where I can catch the ball and turn it upfield and run. The play that stood out to me the most that I was most disappointed about, it was it preceded the interception down in the red zone by about three plays probably. The interception where Slaughter hits the receiver yeah. and the ball bounces up and gets intercepted. That should never even have happened because Kentucky had a great play on probably two or three plays before that where they run out of a little uh, uh, two-receiver set, get a pick, come underneath, and it would have been a walk-in touchdown if Will Levis throws him the football you know, where he can catch it and, and keep running. He throws it at a, a lower uh, body position for the receiver. He goes down. Doesn't even get the first down. They have to go for it on the yeah. next down just to convert. But if you hit him in stride, he he ends up walking into the end zone and you never have that interception. Like those are the plays that you have to be able to make the little throws when you have a good play on. You're not asking you to go out there and 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 be Aaron Rodgers and you know win the game with your arm solely. Just make the plays that are there to be made when they're there and present the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that's what the film showed, and you're exactly right. Like, the quarterback is going to be responsible for making those plays, and I just didn't see him, you know, 
I didn't, I, I didn't see enough game-changing plays. And then obviously once it started to spiral on Kentucky, then the game, the game was over. And I felt like that was a pivotal moment. And when they, when Kentucky answered, I'm like, Oh, this is a game. <laughs> this, this is going to be a game that initial answer when they scored their only points of the game. And then they just, it, it was like the last series and last couple series of the old miss game, but for the entire game, yeah, like there was plays to be made. You could see it on tape. You could see it play itself out. And for whatever reason, you're not able to make those plays. Yeah. Like, you know, there's just, there's little things for Kentucky right now that they can't get done. And I, I wish I could explain. I wish I could come on here because we spent a lot of time and effort and, uh, you know, just time and time again, talking about Kentucky and being excited for the team. And I, I can't explain why they can't get those things done. So big turf, you ask us about Missouri and, and South Carolina. Somehow we're ranting about <laughs> Kentucky and their game against Tennessee. So just to take it back to the game that you initially asked about, we would be completely irresponsible uh, if we didn't talk about Missouri, what they've put together there, the job that Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator at Missouri has done taking that abysmal run defense last year, that was 14th in the conference by far the worst in the conference and one of the worst in the country and turned that weakness into a strength by improving the yards allowed on the ground per game by over a hundred yards. I mean, it, it's incredible to think about what they were able to do in one year. And I actually buy it. You know, I think there's some, some times where we see things and we know it's fraudulence. I think the four-game winning streak by South Carolina was fraudulent, and that yeah. got exposed when they, when they played Missouri. But I actually believe the Missouri defense is legit. Their run defensive improvement is legit. And that Eli Drinkwitz has this team headed in the right direction. I can't say enough nice things about Blake Baker. Like yeah. I am a giant fan and you and I have talked about this CD. I'm, I'm a huge fan of what he's doing, what he's done, what he's going to do. He's going to be a hot name. Missouri's going to have to do everything they can to keep it. And remember he wasn't initially named the defensive coordinator. He was initially named a position coach yeah. and then found his way to the defense coordinator position. And good thing he did, because you're right. Like they've completely changed the narrative. And they've done outside of Kansas State. The Kansas State game completely got away with them or got away from them. They've done it to everybody, including Georgia. I mean, what they did against Georgia, that was a hell of a game plan, and they executed that. I mean, to to play a college football game in 2022 against an SEC team and only give up 203 total yards with some of the players that South Carolina has, yeah, like that that's special. Yeah, And they have a special unit, I think, there at Missouri. And are they having an epic season, a world beater? No. But they're 4-4. Four and four. They're 2-3 and three in conference play. A lot of people are asking questions about Eli Drinkwitz coming into this season. I think those questions have to go away. I mean, because when we look at the layout of their schedule, again, outside of the Kansas State game, you, you lost the game seven different ways against Auburn, right? It's not excusable, but you got to go find a way to win that game. And you didn't, but, I mean, if anybody watched that game, Missouri was yeah. a better team that day. Then you come back, which is hard to do, against the number one team in the country, and you put up an absolute dogfight. Everything they four. wanted, no doubt. Everything that Georgia could have wanted and handled, they, they, uh, they gave it all to them for about three and a half quarters yeah. of that ballgame. You go on the road to the swamp. You give Florida a hell of an effort, 24 to 17. You fall yeah. just short there. You come back. 
and I don't care. Look, you have more points than Vanderbilt. Were you up 14 to nothing? They got hairy at the end. It did, but you won. And then you come back with this performance against South Carolina. Now, you've got some Bears coming up with Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas still left on your schedule. But I think considering the way that it started, losing to Kansas State like they did, being heartbreaking losses to Auburn and, and Georgia, but to still right the ship and be where they're at right now, I think Drink still has the year of this team. I still think he's the right guy for this job. And I think that it's a program that is still on track to continue to get better. I'm with you on that. Big Terp, where you want to go next, my friend? I want to go right to where you are, CD. Gainesville, Florida. What is happening in Gainesville? They uh, dismissed Brenton Cox from the program on Monday, uh, coming off the 42-20 loss in the cocktail party, lost by under 23 points. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, CD, talk Gators to me. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, a mess. You know, I think all eyes yesterday were on – on Monday, all eyes were on Auburn and what was was going on there with the firing of uh, their head coach and the hiring of uh, a new athletic director. But here in Gainesville, you, you had the announcement of Brenton Cox being dismissed for what Billy Napier said was kind of a cumulative uh, effect of a lot of different things that came to a head, reports of of things happening in the post-game locker room between he and some of the coaches. Um, and then the, the, the open mic situation, I don't know how, how much you guys paid attention to AP reporter, Mark long and his comments, but it, it seems like a little bit of a mess right now with, with everything that's going on. And I think what you saw on Saturday in the, in the cocktail party, Hester was a perfect example of the immense disparity in talent between Georgia and where Florida is right now, the amount of miles that Florida has to go to get on the same level was clearly illustrated in that game. And the fact that Georgia turned the football over three times, they busted multiple coverages. They didn't play anywhere near their best and still won by 22 points. Yeah, there's no question. You turn on that game and you don't have to watch the all 22. You can see it from the TV copy. It is a different level of athlete right now at Georgia than it is Florida. That's certainly not been the case in the past. And there's some nice pieces, I think, for Florida that they brought in as freshmen that they brought in through the transfer portal. But it's just not enough to compete in a game like that. And a lot of that falls on the staff that was there before Billy Napier. Dan Mullen, great coach. I'm just going to say from the outside looking in, didn't love recruiting. I mean, he had too many comments that, that, that pointed to that at Mississippi state. You can take a lot of the players that he was able to get to Starkville and you can thrive with those players. That's just not the situation at Florida. That's not the way Florida handles things. And you have to recruit because you can recruit at a very high level. And I just don't see CD and tell me if I'm wrong. I just, I don't see the same players that I've seen at Florida. Certainly when I was playing, when you were playing, um, after I was playing, it, it's really been three, four years since I've seen the players that I'm used to seeing yeah. suit up in, in the, uh, the, the Gator uniform. And now that's like Billy Napier, he's doing a nice job on the recruiting trail. Yeah. I know fans don't want to hear that. He's bringing those players in, but they're just not there right now. Yeah. Florida, <laughs> Florida was in for a long haul from the get-go, knowing where the roster was that this staff inherited and knowing the schedule they had to face. I mean, having Utah to open the season, having to play LSU 
and Texas A&M as cross-division opponents this year, having to end with a much better Florida team in Tallahassee on Black Friday night. Like, there are a lot of challenges that still remain on the schedule. I mean, Florida is going to be fortunate to get bowl eligible, if we're being honest. You look at the rest of their schedule, they've got to go to College Station this week. They've got South Carolina coming up. They got Vanderbilt, and they go to Tallahassee against Florida State. Like, as you look at the schedule, knowing what you know about, you know, some of the things that are going on right now, what do you think they finish the season at? I still think they get. You think they get two. seven wins? You think they win three of those four? I think they get two. Yeah, I and, think it's a they, six and sixteen. It's, it's a not, six and sixteen. They get so ball game. Yeah, and and I tried to tell all of these Gator fans, and and they got mad at me in the preseason, but I tried to tell them that they were. You know, if you could get eight and four, that would have been a miraculous season. But seven and five was more likely. I'm, I'm not sure that they can reach it right now. But the thing that Florida fans need to understand is just how big of a rebuild this is. This is not a this is not a cosmetic, right? You know, quick quick fix. It's a it's a bigger tear down to the studs almost and start over again. And that's what Billy Napier has been tasked with. That's what he's doing. But I'll say this. The thing that I like, and you've heard me say this on this podcast for the last nine weeks, I like their resiliency. I like how hard they play. Uh, they play for the, the the totality of the game. Yeah. And, um, you know, the offense goes, I think they went three and out five times in the first half, four in a row to start the game, I think. And they come out in the third quarter, put a drive together, get a turnover, get another score. You know, they score, outscore Georgia 17 to seven in the third quarter, find a way to find find themselves in an eight point one possession game and just don't have enough dudes to, to close it out. But I do like the fight because that, that shows that you have guys that understand what it takes to play hard and compete. And uh, they feel a connection with their, their coaching staff, which is good. Even if you finish six and six, again, I know the standard in Gainesville. Uh, I've played that team enough. I have enough friends that, that played for that team. I understand what it is and it should be there. But even if you go six and six, and you have wins, let's say it ends up being Florida State, Texas A&M, Utah, who was number seven in the country at that time, and you're number one with all the challenges that Billy Napier took over, I think you have to understand the job that was done and the job that's going to be done by that staff. Now, you know, people realizing that, that's hard to do. It's hard to do it multiple places, but the recruiting rankings, who they were able to bring into the transfer portal – the players that he had at Louisiana Lafayette that followed him there, that tells me that he is someone that the players want to follow, somebody that they believe in, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine, but you have to you have to have that patience, which CD, yeah. we know it's very difficult some places, and Florida is one of those places. We need to talk uh, real quick about Georgia, the uh, the winning half of that ball game in Jacksonville on Saturday. Uh, really impressed with the the game plan. To me, that was the most dynamic I'd seen the offense since the Oregon game. You had a nice balance of, of throwing the football and, and, and running it in the second half, primarily. Yeah. You know, uh, Stetson Bennett throws the ball 29 times in the first half for 262 yards and probably should have thrown for 350. I mean, the, there was two or three drops, including one that was taken right out of Dominic Blaylock's hands that ended yeah. up being an interception. It should have been caught. Um, Darnell Washington had one, you know, on a little wheel route, uh, that he should have caught. I mean, I thought Stetson Bennett looked really good throwing the football on, on Saturday afternoon in the first half. 
Yeah, I think Stetson Bennett is someone that we continue to undervalue, and I'm saying all of us, not just some of us, not a group of us. I think all of us still undervalue what Stetson Bennett brings to that team. And you're right. Like, we threw for 316. There was more out there. One of the interceptions certainly not going to be on Stetson Bennett. I think he just continues to play winning football. Now, you know, when they get into a shootout and possibly that shootout could come this week for the Georgia Bulldogs, can he pull that off? I mean, he's had moments where he's shown that he can do it. Can he do it against a Tennessee team that is currently now the number one team in the country? We'll find out. But every time we've ever doubted Stetson Bennett, and I call him Stetson Bennett because I think he is a stud, He's shown up, and the completion percentage wasn't great this week, but there was certainly plays to be made that weren't made, and he still throws for 316 yards and two tugs. So, No doubt. What else we got, Big Terp? All right. Let's do – you want to do one more before we pregame? Sure. Let's do Texas A&M, who lost 31-28, but did, I'm, I'm not going to use the moral victory word. I will use it to say that I'm not going to use it. Um, <laughs> but we, we saw Connor Wegman, and it, it was pretty encouraging, was it not? Yeah, I think that's definitely the bright spot. I mean, Wegman comes in 28 to 44, 338 through the air, four touchdowns, most importantly, no interceptions. He is the future. He's a quarterback moving forward. He'll be the quarterback for the rest of this year. He'll be the quarterback for the next two years. Um, our guy, Billy Lucci, who is uh, definitely a friend of all of ours and is as dialed into Texas A&M as anyone out there, has told us ever since he stepped on campus that he was the guy, that he would be the guy. Now, we thought it would be next year, but it's now, and it's going to be now it's going to be next year it's going to be the year after that and then he's going to have a long career on Sundays I, I think he's truly that kind of player um so inserting him in this lost season and make no mistake about it this is a lost season for Texas A&M they're three and five and one and four in conference that is a bright spot I mean A-Chain did A-Chain things in this game 25 for 138 the receiver room is coming along nicely it truly is like the receivers that are young players are getting valuable experience Maybe we can start having that conversation about next year. It's not a conversation of this year. It's a lost season. So why not? Because Jimbo's not going anywhere. They owe him too much money. He's not going anywhere. There, there's going to be shakes, uh, shakeups in the coaching staff. They're going to bring in an offensive coordinator. They're going to bring in new coaches. Everyone who's been with him for a long time, be it at, you know, gosh, he's had guys that were with him as GAs at LSU. They were assistants in Florida State. They're assistants at AM. They're not going to be with him anymore. They're going to have to move on from all of those guys. And y'all know who I'm talking about probably if you look at the coaching uh, roster there. And that's just the way it is because when you can't move on from the head coach, you move on from what? The assistants. And they're going to bring in a whole new staff. I I would at least assume. It'd be shocking if they didn't. But if I'm A&M, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, knowing that I still have games on my schedule that are going to be difficult, including Florida, uh, even Auburn. I'm not giving you Auburn. Auburn on the road right now with a team that has nothing to lose, that's yeah. going to be a dogfight. And then you finish up with LSU, who is playing at their best level right now. It's going to be a longer season, right? You might not go to a bowl game. Like, that's a real possibility that you're not going to a bowl game, Texas A&M, and you start at number six in the country. So here's what you do. You get ready and you get experience for the guys that are going to be there for you next year. Right, because you have recruited at at a level in a, a way that can get you there. Now you got to keep all those guys. You got to re-recruit those guys. You got to make sure those guys are happy because that's never easy in this day and age of college football. But get those guys experience. You got Wegman in there. You've got Stewart. You've got other players that are young players that are going to be a part of this program if they stay. So go ahead. It sucks. It's not fun. No one wants to do it. But start getting them ready for next year. 
I will say this, though, going back to Connor Wegman, I was not convinced that that was the best thing to do to put him in only because I didn't trust the offensive line. The offensive line has gotten two quarterbacks banged up already this year, and they're down, you know, three guys on, on the offensive line. I thought it might be the worst thing to have him in there taking a lot of shots and, and to, to have his development set back. But I thought the offensive uh, staff put a nice game plan together. You saw them out of the get-go go right down the field on their first two possessions, yep. scored 14 points. And I like the, the, the utilization. It was not RPO, it was play-action pass. It made it easy on him. He didn't have to make a bunch of reads. He took advantage of the fact that you knew the defense was going to try to you know, they're going to come up and, and run support. And, and hey, if this freshman can beat us, then so be it. And he he, he finally used the tight ends. I mean, we hadn't seen the tight ends be utilized at Texas A&M this year all season long. We wondered where that group was. Yeah. But those guys had a contribution early on. So I thought they did a nice job of giving him some some opportunity to be successful early. And then at the end of the ballgame, when they're making a, a run down 10 points late, he made some good throws, man. I thought he he uh, he 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 handled that pressure very very well, and uh, I commend the uh, the twelfth man for showing up as well in a season that's certainly far from where they expected to be. They had a a great home field advantage in that, and uh, and made an admirable effort. Real quick, does Texas A and M get bowl eligible this year? Oof. They got to win three again? of the next four. Give it to me. They've got to play Florida. They've got to play Auburn on the road. They have UMass, so they're going to get a victory there. That gets them to four, and they play LSU at home. So they have to win two of you know of the three games in the SEC: Florida, Auburn, and LSU. Golly, so you're you're saying that they've got to win three of their final four games, and they've got to be two of the three SEC opponents on that schedule there. I, I somehow think they do, and maybe that. Maybe that's me not putting a lot of confidence in my own alma mater this year, this week. But <laughs> I, I think that they find a way to get to six wins and get eligible. But I think, you know, to your point, playing for the future, that's the most important thing is getting yeah. those extra 15 bowl practices, having the yeah. opportunity you know, to, to, to get more time together. So I, I do think they probably find a way to get there. Uh, but I feel a lot more positive about them than I did prior to that game against Ole Miss. And here we are. We're celebrating a loss. We're talking moral victory. We said we weren't going to talk moral victory, but that's that's where we are. We would be remiss not to talk about the team that actually won the football game, the team that actually is atop the SEC West in a three-way tie. I thought uh, Ole Miss did a, a great job out of the gates. They were going at a tempo like I hadn't seen before, and they yeah. had AM's defense on their heels. Seven plays, I think they ran six of them on that drive and went right down the field. I thought it was going to get nasty early on there, Hess. Yeah, look, Ole Miss to be able to bounce back after they lost a very, very difficult game against LSU in which they got outscored. We all know, you know, it was a 40 to three or whatever it ended up being when after it was 17 or I guess it was 42 to three after it was 17 to three Ole Miss. They bounce back. They go on the road to a very difficult environment they win that game they do enough to win it they do it the way they want to do it which is running the football and Ole Miss is a team that's going to have an opportunity now is it winning the SEC West which they have to beat Alabama I don't know that but they're going to have an opportunity to have the type of season they had a year ago which finished with a sugar bowl appearance and if they do that back-to-back -back years make no mistake about it they are on schedule and they are 
probably way ahead of schedule and they're there to stay. Certainly if Lane Kiffin continues to be the head coach of Ole Miss, because Ole Miss just, they haven't had that. They've had, they've had a run here, a run there, a run here, a run there. But if you start stringing together back-to-back sugar bowl appearances, that's different. And that can even unlock something that we maybe haven't seen in a very long time there in Oxford. I thought that they were going to take a big step back this year after losing both coordinators, losing Matt Corral, uh, playing the schedule that they did in the second Lost half. Two good season. running backs. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot to be concerned about, but uh, they've handled uh, this this year so far with flying colors, uh, with the exception of of the one game that they, they dropped against LSU. But I, I do think that there's a lot to be excited about as I, I continue to see development in Jackson Dart. I see a run game with Quinshawn Judkins kind of heading things up that a lot of people are talking about may produce, you know, a guy that should be considered in the Heisman Trophy race. Um, there, there's a lot to be excited about. And, and yeah. like you said, it starts with keeping Lane Kiffin there in Oxford yeah. for uh, the foreseeable future. Yeah, he's definitely going to have suitors come a call him with blank checkbooks, and those zeros are going to continue to roll off the check until he says yes. We'll see if he can say no to those zeros, which is going to be wild because he's the number one candidate for almost every job that pops open. But what he's doing at, at Ole Miss, what it looks like he's being allowed to do at Ole Miss as far as he has the autonomy there to kind of build the program the way he wants to build it, and they're already a proven winner. So why would you go to a place that is going to have different expectations, going to have more challenges? I think he's in a great spot. I think he can thrive. In, in fact, I know we got to move on because we're running late here, but Five years ago, Lane Kiffin's in a different place. Three years ago, Lane Kiffin's in a different place. Two years ago, he's probably in a different place. Two years ago, I would have said there's, you know, 15 jobs, 20 jobs maybe that Lane Kiffin would have left Ole Miss for. Like truly, probably 20. 20 might be a good number. There might be five now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There might be like five jobs. He's not going to jump at the first major power five. They've won a national championship in the last 30 years team. He's just not going to do it. I think right now he realizes what he has. And so that's a good thing for Ole Miss and their football program and where it's headed. All right. Since I mentioned we are going long here, we still have to pregame because after all, this is pregaming the SEC. Now, we've talked a lot about the other teams that are playing. We've talked a lot about Kentucky. We've talked a lot about Missouri. We've talked about Florida, AM. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to pregame the two games. We're going to preview one versus three, we're going to preview six versus 10. Big Terror, where should we start? I think we should save the best for last. And I am LSU sorry. Alabama. All right, I, I agree with you. I am sorry that LSU <laughs> is not included it's, it's in not, the best. not the one. I'm talking strictly numerical here. So, yeah, we'll go 6-10 first. It's yeah. Alabama, LSU in Baton Rouge, 7 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. And see that you said it before, you were a little surprised to see this spread. Bama, 13 and a half point favorites. Yeah, 13 yeah. and a half point favorites. It, it it seems like in a normal year that that would be maybe where we would see the spread, but this is anything but a normal year for Alabama where they've had such a hard time on the road, where they have been so undisciplined, where they've turned the football over, where they haven't played the defense that we typically have, have seen going into a place against a team that may be amongst the most confident right now with the things, the light switch kind of flipping on for LSU. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think that two touchdowns almost seems like it's a little bit too much 
given all those factors, Hess, and, and I know you're kind of close to it, but I'd love to, to have your impression of, of yeah. how, how the LSU folks are feeling right now with the, the, the confidence that they must have. Yeah, it's a big number. And Alabama's had a lot of success in this series recently. I mean, there's no hiding that. But this is a different LSU team. Just like I think it's a little bit of a different Alabama team, I think it's a different LSU team. And I'm not just talking about the players, but I'm talking about the coaches as well. Now, this game last year was very competitive. LSU threw the ball in the end zone. If they catch it, they win the game. And it's because LSU actually made adjustments and they they gave Alabama something, certainly defensively, that they weren't ready for. And a lot of times in this, in this history, in the last 15 years, Alabama's dominated because they've made the adjustments. The bye week has been better for them than it's been for LSU. I want to see how this coaching staff treats the bye week for LSU. I want to see what adjustments they're going to make. I want to see what surprises they have for Alabama. Because I think this collection of coaches is a damn good one. Like, I, I truly think Mike Denbrock at OC, Brian Kelly's the head coach, Matt House is the defensive coordinator, yeah. has been fantastic. I want to see how much of an advantage, if at all, it is for Alabama and what they've done during this bye. Because I'll be honest with you, as someone that that follows LSU like I do, I feel like it's been a major advantage for Alabama to have the extra time, the rest, to the ability to get healthy, the ability to come up with a game plan. Now, LSU, they changed that trend last year. It wasn't enough, but it was damn close. Remember, they were doing nothing. They were playing base defense. They were playing 4-2-5. They were running cover three, and that's all they were doing last year. And then they had a bye week, and they came out, and they were running cover zero. They had every front that you can imagine. They were switching up their coverages. In Alabama, last year, I forget what the total numbers were, but, I mean, they had like six yards rushing. Yeah. in the game now Bryce Young hit a couple of big shots they threw for over 300 yards but Alabama couldn't get anything going on the ground and it became a one-dimensional game and LSU was right there again LSU has a chance to win that game and if, if Max Johnson is able to connect that last pass which had an opportunity they, they win the game and that's a bad LSU team so they made the adjustments. It worked for them then. Can they do that again now? I believe in this coaching staff for LSU. I think they're going to have a great game plan, and I think it's going to be a four-quarter battle. I think it's going to be one of those games that comes down with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm not, I'm not sitting here calling for an LSU victory, but they're going to have an opportunity to. I think this is going to be a game that is going to hinge on two or three plays. The, the, the thing that scares me the most about both backing LSU and Tennessee is that sometimes when the odds, when the numbers seem too good to be true, they turn out to be that way. And the fact that this point spread is at 13 and, and is at nine or whatever it is now mm -hmm. with Georgia being favored, like it, it just seems like too many points and it almost to the point where it doesn't make sense, which makes me a little bit nervous about taking both underdogs. Yeah, and, and Vegas is Vegas for a reason. There's no question about that. I guess if, I, if I'm putting my purple and gold glasses on and I'm looking at this game, I feel better about where LSU is just from a you know, scheme standpoint, about the development standpoint, um, them playing their best football. And that's just not always been the case in this matchup. It wasn't the case last year. It wasn't the case the year before. Now, certainly in 2019, it was. This team's not 2019. I understand that. But this is a big opportunity for Brian Kelly and his staff 
you're going against the standard of college football. And it's a very, very good Alabama team. It might not be their best team, right? And so you have an opportunity. You have to take advantage of every single thing they give you because if you don't, they're too well coached and they're going to beat you. But you have a real chance, and you have this, this marquee matchup in your building. The last time you had a marquee matchup in your building, you didn't show up. You got embarrassed 40 to 13 against Tennessee. So you get another shot at it. And a lot of times we don't get another shot at it. So more than anything, I want to see how the LSU coaching staff handled the extra time, what they did with it, what they've put into the game plan, and what it looks like. And can you continue to stay on your heater? Because your quarterback, if we're going just off two games, right, the last two, he's played like a top five quarterback in the country. Yep. Can he continue that? We'll see. I'm interested the matchup between the LSU receivers and the secondary of Alabama because we saw them get exposed. And some of it was being exposed by good players. Some of it was being exposed by, by, by scheme and what Josh Heupel and that Tennessee offense, uh, what the staff was able to do to get favorable matchups uh, to create opportunities for Jalen Hyatt to be on DeMarco Hellams. And like yeah. those things, I, I don't know that you'll get as many opportunities in, in, in the scheme that, that LSU uses. And then I don't know if I should believe what I saw in the improvement that that secondary showed against Mississippi state. Like, was that improvement? Was that Eli Ricks getting more of an opportunity? Yeah. Or was that just the bad matchup that is Mississippi State's offense against right. Alabama's defense and the fact that there's no real vertical stretch and that they can sit on every pass route and that they can contest every short throw and they can drive on every slant route? Like, I, I, I don't know whether I believe that the improvement that I saw from the Tennessee game to the Mississippi State game was actually real. Looking forward to it. I'm going to be in that number. And you know Alabama's going to bring their A game. They always do. It's a big game for Coach Saban. Um, he knows LSU as well as anyone. And obviously being there, the success that he had there, Alabama fans are going to show up in Baton Rouge. LSU fans will certainly be there as well. It's going to have a feel that it hasn't had in, you know, since 2019, so yeah. a couple of years. So looking forward to it. Things going to be a hell of a football game. We'll see if LSU can pull off the upset Even or – if Alabama can stay, you know, kind of on that path to control their own destiny in the West. Even that 2019 season, you know, that LSU-Alabama game was in Tuscaloosa. Was yeah. there a game that you go back and think of? Maybe, maybe it was Florida, but was there a game that, that had the big game atmosphere like we're anticipating this week in Tiger Stadium? It was Florida. Florida was great. Florida was great. The whole LSU student section when they were doing the Gator Chomp, that was – that, that was that was a good one. That was a good one, but it's still as as much as LSU and Florida are rivals for it to be Alabama this week and what that means between those two schools and the opportunity that presents itself for LSU. Because you can say what you want about the college football rankings and the fact that LSU is at number eleven right now and they have two losses. If they win this game, if they make it to Atlanta, if they win the SEC championship game. They're going to be in the college football playoffs. You're not keeping the SEC champion out of the college football playoffs. No, I mean, there's just, there's not a scenario that I can get you there. I mean, they, you know, they understand what it takes to get to Atlanta and win that game. Now, there's a long way to go for LSU to get to that point, but LSU understands that their fans and 
T-Bob and I have talked about it every day this week. Like they understand what's at stake. They understand that it's a big moment. They understand that they have a team that can compete in this game. It hasn't felt like that in a long time. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I, th I think it's going to be a great college football game between two good teams. We'll see if one of those teams can be great. We'll see exactly if LSU can continue the success that they've had. We'll see if Alabama can be Alabama. So looking forward to it. But oddly enough, LSU, Alabama, a top 10 matchup is not the game of the week in the SEC. Big Turp, there's another game in the SEC that some, I didn't say it, some are calling it the biggest game in the SEC this week. This is true. This is number one, Tennessee, number one, Tennessee against number three, Georgia. And you guys, like it's a, it, I'm it's, not even, I'm not even going to insult you. Now, yes. Real quick though. It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The LSU Alabama game is an elimination game. The loser is out. Yeah. The Georgia Tennessee game. I would make the argument that is it's as meaningless as the loss was to Alabama uh, to Tennessee a couple weeks back. Like, the loser is still in great position to make it to the college football playoff and may have an easier road there by not having to go to Atlanta and play for the title. We've seen it happen before. We have certainly seen a team that didn't win their division. They didn't have to play in an SEC championship game, get to a national championship game, and hoist a national championship <laughs> trophy at the end of that national championship game. So it's been done before. But as you know, and you know, I, I, I know, I feel like we, it's been a long time since we've had this situation, but as competitors, like you remember that feeling and you can't turn that off. Once, oh, once no. boot meets fall, it's going to be the biggest moment of maybe any Tennessee player's life. And yep. the fact that they're in this game as a number one team in the country going against the defending national champion. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. Uh, the Tennessee story has been one that I think has uh, captured the interest of even the most casual fans. Uh, what Josh Heupel has been able to do with that team, the representative of that program that Hendon Hooker is, uh, the emergence of Jalen Hyatt. Uh, maybe all of those things uh, are, are things that are being recognized around the Southeast and around college football in general. The thing that I don't think is being recognized that needs to is that this defense is no longer the laughing stock that it was early in the season. The secondary is no longer the Achilles heel that it once was. It may still yeah. be one of the weaker points, but they've improved significantly. And you watch the tape against Kentucky. Go back in the second half. Look at the penetration and the domination of the defensive line of the line of scrimmage. Go back and look at the way they got after Will Levis rushing the quarterback. Go back and look at the way now with Jalen McCullough back in the secondary and the emergence of slaughter after they moved him yeah. out to the corner position. I feel like this defense, and and I have been resistant to saying this, even though PB has said it about a month back, but it does remind me a lot of the 2019 LSU team in the way that the offense is rolling, the defense is a liability, and suddenly becomes a strength as the season wears on. What was once the, the weak point, I think, is now becoming at least a neutral with the improvement of the defensive side of the football. There's a lot of similarities. There truly is. Now, I'm not ready to crown them what that team did. That team did it over 15 games, and that team did it. They did it in a way that it was surprising, and, and nobody really saw it coming. And, and obviously, a lot of people got caught up in it, including myself. Um, but they finished it, and that's the key part. They finished yeah. it. They went 15-0. and 0. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to think, like, similarities. Yes, if I – differences – 
I mean, Jamar Chase and, and Jefferson, and probably because of what they did in the NFL, like it's hard to put anybody on that level in college. Oh, and, Ter- and Terrace Marshall. Yeah. Now, what Hyatt's doing is special. I mean, it truly is. I mean, he's got 14 touchdowns already on this year. If, 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 I'm, if I'm picking hairs here, maybe the only difference is there's, you know, I, I like Wright at the running back position. I think Clyde edwards Lair was perfect for that offense. He gave them something where they could go empty uh, the way he caught the ball out of the backfield, the way he was in pass protection. Maybe if I'm, if I'm truly splitting hairs here, maybe the only difference, but you got to give Tennessee credit that we're even having that conversation. Let me ask you this question. I was guilty. I'm going to confess. I was guilty in the first half of the year of feeling like this, this was not sustainable at some point in time. They were going to trip up. They were going to make a mistake. They were going to reveal themselves to not being as, as, as imposing as they've looked. They have not done that. And maybe the most impressive thing about all of this for Tennessee has been Hinden Hooker, his inability, his, his, his unwillingness to turn the football over two interceptions on the entire year. The team as a whole has only turned it over eight times. That's been one of the, 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 the most impressive parts of this with as much as, as, as they do as quickly as they do it, they are very attention to detail oriented with getting the ball back to the officials, getting yeah. lined up, getting the proper splits, utilizing the whole 53 and a third of the, the width of the field, getting on the right sides. So you can go faster. Like they do things at a really high level and you can tell it's emphasized in practice. But going back to my question is, at what point in the year did you actually believe in this Tennessee team? Did you start to, to, to eliminate the doubt that you had about their ability to compete for the SEC championship and a college football playoff berth? I thought after I saw them in person, and you know when you see someone in person, it accelerates kind of maybe you're thinking of them in, in yeah. a good way or sometimes in a bad way. After I saw what they did to LSU, because I know LSU is not a perfect team. I know LSU is not – where they want to be at the end of the day, but I know they've got Jimmy's and Joe's. I know they've got first round players. I know they have Sunday players all over the field. And for that thing to spiral on LSU and Tennessee to not allow LSU to come back in that game. Anytime LSU try, tried to get anything going, Tennessee just kind of stepped on, on their chest and didn't allow them to come up for air. And that to me is like, Oh, they're, they're different. They're a little different than I thought they were. And, then of course, they go beat Alabama. But for me, it started in Baton Rouge when I saw that team in person. Hendon Hooker, and I've said it all year long, is as locked in on his offense and what they're trying to do, what they're trying to get accomplished more than any quarterback in the country. He runs that offense at the highest efficiency level of anybody in the country that runs their offense. So seeing it in person and seeing the way he operates it, even watching it on film, I didn't appreciate it to the extent that I did after I saw him in person. So for me – I'm a, a couple of weeks. I've had that belief in Tennessee. My most intriguing matchup of this ball game, the battles within the battle, comes from what the Tennessee offense, what uh, Josh Heupel and Alex Golish put together against that Georgia defense. Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, the game planning. They've got to find a way to not get manipulated the way that every other defense has this year by formation, by switch releases, yeah. by the stacks, like. If there's anybody that I have faith in that can put together a plan that's not going to get them beat just by purely putting their defenders in bad situations, it would be that Georgia defensive staff. Yep. Now, 
Georgia's going to be without Nolan Smith. That's yeah. going to be something that I think affects them. Uh, and he's he's got three sacks on the year. I don't want to say only, but he's got three sacks on the year. It's not the sack numbers that I think is going to affect them. It's the time that offenses don't have to plan around him. That is key to me. And I was talking with Colt McCoy earlier today, whenever this news kind of came out. And I'm like, hey, you know, like, Colt, you've been in those meeting rooms because in CD you have as well, but not as much in protections. Like when you have that dude at edge rusher, it's in the offensive line room, certainly in the quarterback room, in the running back room. You talk about that guy more than you talk about anybody else. Hey, offensive yeah. line, we can't allow this guy to beat us. Hey, running backs, before you get out on your route, you got to chip him. You got to give him something. You got to give him your presence. That was always the big term that running back coaches use. Hey, quarterbacks, hey, if there's any questions, slide it to his direction. You know, make sure you got him picked up. And Georgia will have a guy that replaces him that's probably a five-star guy, but he doesn't <laughs> have the reputation yeah. of that player just yet. And so when you can kind of game plan naturally and you don't have to overemphasize one player, I think that helps an offense. And so there's going to be multiple things they miss, not just his play on the field, but just his presence and him being out there. No doubt, man. I cannot wait for this weekend. It's uh, seems like uh, we've more times than I remember. We've had incredible matchups all season long here from week to week. And uh, this weekend may be the highlight of the, uh, the the 10 week season so far, man. Looking forward to both those big games and all the other in the SEC that'll take place. All right. Before we close today's show, because we had a good week and we have bad weeks, maybe we don't have time for best bets, but <laughs> when we have good weeks. We have plenty of time for best bets. I'm looking at some pretty nice records, starting to figure some things out, Big Turp. Yeah, I believe it's the first time all year that uh, we've both been over 500 here. Doring was 9-14 and 14 after an 0-3 and week, and then he promised to get it going. Yeah. And now he's on a 6-0 and 0 heater. Let's go. You, you, you hit, I mean, you know things are going well when you hit a plus 23 in a 42-20 to 20 ball game. But you hit Florida plus 23, Arkansas minus 3, never a doubt. And that AM Ole Miss game hit by what four, hit by five points, something like that, that over 55. Um, Hess, I don't think you're going to go a week the rest of the year without taking a Missouri under because those have been <laughs> working for you. And th that that is a real challenge this week. I think it's like a 41 and a half oh, against right. Kentucky. So we'll see. Uh, but Hess hits that under 46. He hits that minus one and a half Ole Miss. And if Kentucky could score some damn points, you anything. Anything, man. A forty-four to six ball game, Ugh. and you had the over sixty-one. That 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 uh, early-ish pick was a killer. That that, yeah. that that felt like an early over killer. Uh, but so you go two and one. Yeah. So CD 15, 14 and one. Hess fifteen, twelve and one. Those, that's what we like to hear. Let's finish up strong, Hess. I mean, yeah. we got it. Like again, Brian Kelly said, October's for pretenders. November's for contenders. Let's finish this thing up right, bro. Hey, how about this stat since you just reminded me? One last thing here on, on this episode. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, he went 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 without losing a game in November. Really? That's a solid stat, man. That's a stat that when he said that about being contenders in November, that feels like something he's preached for a very, very long time. So... That could be something to watch for LSU, and it starts this week against a very talented and the standard of college football, Alabama football team. So, man, we've got a great slate. College football continues to 
just be the greatest thing in the world. Continues to show out and show off, and it's going to do so again this weekend. Hey, we ripped an hour and a half here after uh, claiming that we would uh, we would try to keep things brief, but uh, yeah, an hour and a half yeah. in, and probably could have gone another an hour and a half if we yep. had had the time allocated. Yes, yes, we could. If I didn't have screaming children trying to get to bed, <laughs> if you didn't have a morning show to do what feels like probably in like six hours, yeah. we could do it, but look it's okay we have plenty of time to talk next week we'll be back next week of course for week 11 of pre-gaming the sec always remember on social media it's pre-gaming the sec that is the handle on youtube search pre-gaming the sec on spotify and apple same thing like subscribe do the whole deal we'd love to have you join us here on this show we'll see you next week remember walk-ons.com walk on sports bistro find that location that is near you or soon to be near you. We'll see you next week on pre-gaming the SEC.